we just super focused on customer experience and that really drove our business. You know, marketing costs came down every week and sales went up because customers telling the story. And that's really, if you're a merchant, if you're a retailer, that's that nirvana moment where customers are telling the story for you. You're not beholden to Facebook or Google anymore. Imagine this. It's 1999 and you and your sibling decide to start an e-commerce company with just a phone line, a 14K modem, a ping pong table, and a credit card. You build a website, find a product that has unnecessary margins, and decide to just do it better yourself. Are you feeling bullish on this ending? Well, I am, because that's exactly what Roger Hardy did when building his first company called Coastal Contacts, which eventually grew to be the world's largest omni-channel eyewear retailer. The success couldn't be ignored, and soon after, Coastal was acquired. But one part of this sibling duo, Roger Hardy, couldn't stay away from the eyewear game forever. He re-entered the space in 2019 with his new company, Kits.com. And by the end of 2021, the business will have already eclipsed $100 million in revenue. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Roger and I got to chat about some of his secrets to success in the D2C world of eyewear. We dove into the importance of vertical integration, what the link is between a company's MPS and its valuation, and how to think about hiring if you want to go from 1 to 25 to 100 or 300 or even beyond. Enjoy the episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash upnextincommerce. All right, on to the show. Hello, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today on the show, we have Roger Hardy, who currently serves as the co-founder and CEO of Kits Eyewear. Roger, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephanie. Great to be here. How are you? Very good. It's a good day to be talking all things commerce with the perfect person who has the perfect background. It's going to be a good episode. I can just feel it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I want to start way back. I was listening to another podcast episode you did, and you mentioned that you used to sell used newspapers door-to-door as a six-year-old. And I was like, we need to start there. I want to kind of hear where did that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Like, tell me more about that. That's so funny you, you say that. Yeah, I, I was just back uh, east visiting with my parents. And of course, my mom brings up that story every chance she gets. So she had yeah. to share it again at the family, you know, barbecue on the weekend. But for some reason, you know, some Saturday morning, I, I got in my mind that I would go door-to-door with uh, 
I think it was the Time Magazines actually, <laughs> and it okay. was at the time going door to door with uh, our family. To- Time Magazines at six thirty in the morning, some Saturday morning, and uh, you know somebody from down the street fortunately called my parents. The phone rings, they're in bed, and they're like, "Your son is on the doorstep here, trying to sell us the Time Magazine." So. I don't know if people say it's learned or, you know, or it's in you when you start. I guess for me, it was definitely early on. I had a sense that I was a, a merchant or a retailer of some kind. So, yeah, funny you, you heard that story. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, I still think there's a market for that. So, I mean, I'm just thinking how many people go through newspapers and magazines and like, OK, someone else could use that. I, I would not mind if it was used before. So the idea was there. We just need to bring it back, I think. Yeah, no kidding. These days it would be super popular. Yeah. Those magazines are probably worth a lot more today if I got them uh, in the thrift store today, right? <laughs> yeah, you should have held on to them just a little bit longer. Maybe your mom's got them. So then uh, to fast forward a bit farther, I want to go into you co-founding Coastal with your sister in 2000. Like before, you know, e-commerce was even a thing. I want to hear about, you know, what was Coastal and how you went about creating that. Yeah, sure. So um, like, like you said, you know, my sister and I uh, started Coastal back in 2000 really came from, you know, I had a background working in medical products with a contact lens company in the marketing department and just kind of the disconnect between, you know, what it, what it cost us to make a box of contact lenses and then, you know, what we sold them to eye care practitioners and, and, and the markup was, you know, I think like 700% at the time. So there really was no, yeah, you know, a $12 box of contacts would sell for 70, you know, 80, $90. So, that was, you know, probably the real insight was, gosh, there's really a lot of margin in this product. And, you know, maybe somebody could take this direct. And and at the time, obviously, everybody was taking everything online from, you know, barbecues to pet food and, and everything in between. And some of those things have, you know, been sustainable. And so we built a website at the time, very cost effectively. My sister's now husband, then boyfriend was a computer engineer. So, you know, we, we always say we built the website for less than $5,000. And, uh, and then, you know, bought some contact lenses and started selling it. And the first day we were off and running. And um, I think we had, you know, 18, something like 16 or 18 sales the first day. The first month, 70,000. You know, the first year we did two and a half million. So, uh, and wow. year two was 10 million. So it was an exciting kind of time. And yeah, it, was, it turned out to be a good story. So we grew into a first a TSX listed company. Then we listed on the NASDAQ. Uh, and then finally kind of completing the journey. You know, we got an unsolicited bid from Essilor Luxottica, who's really kind of the big, you know, person in the category and, um, you know, sold the company in 2014. So that's kind of the history. Yeah. So it's kind of a good, good run, you know, good, good. And then somehow found myself back in optical a couple of times over the last five years. And um, it's been, you know, again, it's just a great category. Lots of, lots still to do here. So tell me a bit, what was it like, you know, being traded on NASDAQ and having a company that's you know, accumulating over a billion in cumulative sales. Like what were some of the lessons there that you're taking into your current company kits? Yeah, well, great question. The, you know, I guess the biggest lesson of that company was just the culture. You know, the, there was a culture of growth in that business and we were always looking for how, how can we best serve customers and, and thinking that that will, that will learn to our growth. So that's something we've, you know, we've taken into kits. We're, we're, you know, we kind of three primary pillars at kits. One is to be vertically integrated so that we can control the whole experience. So we built a state-of-the-art lab here in Vancouver where it's, you know, hot, super automated, super high-tech. We call it the Gigafactory, obviously modeled after someone we all know and, you know, yeah. learn from the best, right? So we're building up this Gigafactory that can make eyeglasses 
for really as low as you know, as, 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 you know, somewhere around a dollar of labor per per pair of eyeglasses uh, to really be super efficient and super high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the lessons was to vertically integrate, and I think that's been you know one of the most creative lessons of business of the last twenty years is if you're whatever you're doing, make sure you control the back end, you you control the rails of production. You know, we started with kids building out that lab so we could do that. The next thing is, like I said, customer service. Focus on NPS, Net Promoter Score. Every week, our management team gets a review of of how customers, you know, see what we're doing. And and Net Promoter Score is a really good way of not not necessarily just hearing the good things you're doing, but hearing the, the challenges or the issues and how you can get better. And so, for us, we we think about you know how, how to remove those friction points, choke points for customers, and get better and better. And and we think that the the company with the best NPS in category usually has the as the highest valuation in the category. So Coastal was an example of that. We had the highest NPS at the time I sold, higher than you know, any of the traditional retailers, any of the other you know, 800 numbers and, and so on that you've heard of, and, and even higher than some of the ones that have a lot of, you know, got a lot of PR early on and back in those days. We just, we just you know, super focused on customer experience and, and that really drove our business. You know, marketing costs came down every week and, and sales went up because it was customers telling the story. And that's really... You know, if you're a merchant, if you're a retailer, I mean, that's that's that nirvana moment where customers are telling a story for you. You know, you're not beholden to Facebook or Google anymore. That's mm-hmm. kind of uh, so. Those are some of the lessons. Anyway, I, could, I I guess I could go on. I didn't think I had so much content. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, that's amazing. And what did it feel like when you saw your company listed? Because that's something now that I feel like some people are still going that route. Other people are kind of holding back for a long time to IPO. It seems like a very different market now. But back then, I mean. To be able to do that is huge. So, like, what were the feelings behind that when you're like, "Wow, look at my company"? Yeah, we we super we were really early on a lot of these trends, especially for Canada, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, being up in Canada, I think we were had the biggest e-commerce business. I would go to the, you know, the stock uh, conventions in Canada, and it would be all mining and and minerals and you know energy, and there weren't a lot of tech companies. So um, they kind of call they kind of make fun of me up here now, the grandfather in, in Vancouver of of some of the tech, which. You know, it's, it's, it's super exciting that the tech scene in Vancouver has really, you know, expanded. There's there's a bunch of great companies, but um, yeah. So I, I think that you know, it was just it was just early, and it was meeting that friction of being early and people not really knowing, you know, if if you know where where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Yep, love that. So tell me a bit more about kits. Like, what do you create there, and how are you all different than you know other eyewear brands? You know, so kits is uh, it's contact lenses and eye and eyeglasses, and and we um, myself and my two partners, Sabrina Black and Joe Thompson, you know, started kits. We we had been looking at a number of different categories, and we kept hearing from you know all my past customers that uh, the business we'd sold had changed and that it had gotten a little less service oriented, and then prices has moved up. And Essilor and Luxotica again is kind of big behemoth. So when they bought it, they kind of really try to move it towards a traditional retailer, things like lens crafters that they own and some of these other brands. So uh, at Kits, we're, we're really trying to create great value for customers. Um, and, and like I said, be super, super focused on um, satisfaction. So customers can go to our website, find great collection of branded you know, frames and Kits brands. So you know, some people want to wear a Tom Ford. Some people want to wear a Gucci, a Fendi, a Calvin Klein, a Dior. Well, we've got that in our collection. And we also have you know, super high quality, the best titaniums, the best acetates from the planet, sustainable product, you know, coming out of Patagonia, made, you know, made from, mm-hmm. from recycled fishing nets. And, and so, you know, we're trying to be thoughtful about the collection, trying to serve customers, you know, really what, what they want. 
um, not just what we what we would want to offer. And um, yeah, so far it's been you know it's been super successful. We we got we passed over a hundred thousand pairs of eyeglasses sold very quickly in under a year. Our business will be more than a hundred million of revenue this year. And so it's um, you know we're three years into it and 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 lots of great traction. But you know, founded on on Kitts Beach, literally walking on Kitts Beach every morning. We go down to Kitts and get a coffee and go. What are we going to do? And you know, one of my partners was uh, worked at Amazon a long time, and he was really excited. I think about kind of you know some things happening in Vancouver or around cannabis. There was a ton of cannabis. Sabrina came out of Goldman Sachs, and you know, I think that there was a lot of talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum, and and so we all had kind of our unique. But somehow I think I was most stubborn. And so uh, maybe I was buying the coffee. I don't know. But they decided that, you know, that there was something really left to do in optical. And I was, again, just listening to, you know, friends and family, customers saying, hey, you know, you guys used to make glasses for us and have them there on the, you know, that day or the next day. And now it's taking 10 days, you know. And so we, we, you know, and the prices have, you know, gone up significantly. So I guess that's what happens when kind of the incumbent monopolies come into a space. But you know, my non-compete expired and um, we decided, you know, hey, we want to do something for a customer. So yeah, that's that's kind of what we've been doing. I love that. I mean, what's interesting about that too is so many entrepreneurs, they, you know, are done with their first business, they sell it, whatever may happen. And then they do have that urge to just go into like some something like completely random. Like I'm going to go, you know, I'm in media, now I'm going to go into crypto or something. But whereas you guys actually leveraged, you know, the experience you already had, I'm sure you're able to kind of tap into those partnerships you had, manufacturers, get that you know, vertical integration. Tell me a bit about how you kind of reset that up, but maybe some of the advantages you had by staying within that industry. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, just just knowing the category the way we did, we knew being vertical was such a key part. And we were able to go back to some of the suppliers I knew from the past and some of the major manufacturers. I, I can remember we flew to Italy to, fund, to meet with one of the partners and his company's done really well. And we were one of his first customers. So he, he hosted us as, you know, as you do in Italy for a you know, over an enormous lunch and then a tour of his, you know, of what's become his business. And, you know, he was so gracious and thanking us for, for being good, good partners in the past and, and really moved us to the front of the line on this, on some of these manufacturing machines. Um, you know, some of the biggest retailers in the world were, were there when we were there, like, you know, the biggest, we all know who they are. They were mm-hmm. there and, and, you know, he moved us right to the front of the line and, and took good care of us. So um, yeah, it was, you know, there, there were a lot of those type of relationships, people who'd worked with in the past, who've been happy with the, the relationship and they all came sort of flooding back. It gives a huge advantage and it, it let us get up to speed very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How do you think about balancing, you know, brands like Patagonia and Nike and whoever else might come and say, Hey, I have eyewear versus also wanting to, you know, sell kits eyewear, because it seems like, you know, when I talk to a lot of marketplace owners or people like that, they could all kind of do that. They can all maybe offer, you know, some of the big brands if they have that relationship there and they're accepted and whatnot, like they could all do that. But you having your own product to sell and wanting to also make sure people are coming for that as well seems very important. So how do you balance, you know, giving the customer what they want and the brands they want, but also being like, hey, there's an amazing brand called Kits also that you might want to consider as well. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's, it's a balance. Um, I mean, for us, we, we do want to give customers what they want. And so if they come in for, a branded frame. And, and we kind of t- tend to think that's the gateway into kits anyway. It's that people might be looking for a Tom Ford, but they might not know kits. So they come in, they, they come and see a Tom Ford frame, they see some of that collection. And then, you know, we might, you know, we might also offer them a kits frame somewhere in that experience. Or uh, the other way to think about it as well is that in optical, it's not just the frame, but the lens as well. And so the manufacturing, the back end on that lens where we can give them a SunRx lens, a blue light lens, 
mm-hmm. um, progressive lens. So there's like there's a lot of value in that chain that's you know in the lens itself. At least fifty percent of the value you're creating for someone is in the lens. So you know we like to think that if they they might leave with a Tom Ford frame, but if they're leaving with our lens, you know that's the visual acuity. That's what they'll get excited about. Is the, is just the fact that hey, I got a transition lens and and it's you know the, the, the acuity is impeccable. It was delivered the next morning. Nobody else can offer me this this experience. So we're trying to wow them on on all those levels, and um, I think by giving customers what they want is the best chance to wow them for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting mix. Being able to mix the products, I didn't realize that you could you know take a name brand and then mix it with a kids lens or vice versa. I mean, that really does give it a different kind of custom feel that maybe I mean they can't get anywhere else, which is really cool. And, and that's the thing about eyewear, you, you know, it's it, it's not that we're just pulling a, a pair of, you know, something, a widget off a shelf, sticking in a box and sending it to someone. There really is a value add piece where when you give us that order, we've got to take the frame. Now we start, we've got to cut that lens to your custom specification at your pupillar distance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we start doing that 90 seconds after your order, you, you give us the order and about eight minutes, you know, eight minutes later, that frame is going in a box and it's on its way to you, you know, either wow. by FedEx or next day. So it is really custom made and manufactured. And, and then we're trying to do it at high volume. So we can really, you know, like you just said, the wow, perfect. That's what we're yeah. trying to do. Stephanie, <laughs> I thank love you that. for that. <laughs> I, I just discovered it all on my own. Now I know. <laughs> That's great. I mean, so how do you think about innovating on a market that maybe some would look at and be like, oh, it hasn't really changed too much? Because I do see these startups popping up that are kind of thinking about eyewear different. I know we just had a company called Lucid send us their eyewear and it has speakers in the frame. And I'm like, wow, that's very new. Trying to decide if, you know, whether I would use that or not, like debating, but it seems like people are trying to innovate. How do you view kind of like pulling that into, you know, your company culture, exploring those ideas and seeing what might stick? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, there's lots of lessons from the last 20 years. So um, we do, we, you know, a big part of our business today is glasses and that's a very fast growing part. We also have a big contact lens business. You know, so from an innovation standpoint, I think subscription-based business has been a huge innovation over the past number of years, allowing people to get more value and put it over a number of months. It's obviously like different types of payment innovation. Mm-hmm. So I think we're looking at all that. How do you net down the price to a customer, make it easier for them to have three, four, five pair of eyeglasses? Um, so I think I think we've been thinking all about that. So subscription is a big part of our business. About 25% of the uh, orders we do are on subscription. And so they just auto-renew, they place an order and they get it each quarter, each half, people can set it, forget it. We, you know, just, just makes it easy. It makes it more convenient for them. So, you know, that's one, I think big innovation is, is the move to subscription the move towards making payments a lot, a lot easier for customers. And so I think that's something that we, you know, we're, we're excited about. Yeah, that's great. What are some lessons around, you know, building a subscription program that you have, or maybe a little like, oh, moments you have where you're like, oh, that didn't really work. Because I feel like subscriptions have kind of gone through, you know, a bunch of different waves where you didn't really hear about it. And then all of a sudden, every company was offering subscriptions, <laughs> like everyone wanted it. And then it kind of died down a bit where it's like, oh, maybe not every product set for this. So tell me a bit about, you know, some lessons throughout building the subscription business. Well, you're right. I mean, I think I think um, lots of lessons in burning, uh, building the subscription business. I think um, not everybody wants a pair of glasses every month, a new pair every month. I, mm-hmm. I say that's you know that's true. You know, although you know we think it's exciting and that's something we'd like you know love to do, but um, but maybe it's quarterly. I mean, I, I think the, the biggest lesson is the move from transactional revenue to subscription revenue. There is some cost to be paid in there. And, and so I think a lot of people make the mistake of discounting too heavily in those in those first few, you know, figuring out what is the right amount of discount. How do I 
How do I attract and retain a customer? And is it all about price or what else can I do? So, you know, the mistake is to think it's all about price. And for us, we're trying to think about what's the actual value, what's interesting and unique about what we can do. And, and I think that's what, what sets us apart. So the fact that you're in, in contact lenses, every contact lens owner has a pair of eyeglasses somewhere in their life, whether that's just to find their contacts in the morning or, you know, to rest their eyes on the weekend or do, do some other activities. I think that for us is that that key insight that we can deliver more value than the average, you know, 800 number that would sell your contact lenses. We, we can bring you, you know, we can do something more unique and, and really take care of that additional need. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. So when thinking about, you know, for me, if I'm buying sunglasses or eyewear or something, I still always want to try it on because my face is the way it is. It needs a certain kind of glasses. How do you all think about, you know, giving someone that experience online or are you more focused also on like retail and having people come in and try it on there and then maybe transacting online after that? Like, how do you think about that omni-channel experience? Great question, Stephanie. I think what the way we think about it, having done both retail stores and online, is that any any customer, anyone can order frames from us, order three, four pair, and we'll actually cut the lens for you and put it in. And so now you're trying on a frame that is with your lens. And if, mm-hmm. if four of those frames don't fit, which would it never happens for us, you, you know, you can return those no charge. But mm-hmm. what really tends to happen is people, the, the more people try on frames and say, you know, wow, I got these in a day. These are half the price of anyone else on the planet. And they're a great fit. They tend to keep them and have, you know, we think as price comes down, your, your collection kind of goes up. So, you know, we actually started the trial pack at Coastal back in about 2009, sending out a four pack, then a five pack of frames with no lenses. And what we found was, you know, it was hard for people to try the frame on and they couldn't see how the lenses looked. Mm-hmm. So we started putting the actual prescription RX in those frames. And that's how we think about it today. Is you can try them on, um, we'll ship them to you. We don't think necessarily that everybody wants to be standing in a retail optical store right now. You know, I think that with COVID and the way it's things have moved in the last year, you know, we're not thinking of, of necessarily opening a bunch of stores. We like the idea of instead of investing in that store, you know, yes, they're, they're, you know, like you said, as cool as subscription's been, building a nice store has been, you know, interesting and so on. We'd rather invest that in the quality of the product. We'd rather invest that in the experience of the delivery being tier one so that when you get, you know, and if, if you order three pairs of frames with the lenses in, you can try them on. You can actually see how they look. So that's kind of what we're, I think, advocating for. Cool. And are there any um, maybe lessons when it comes to kind of like return policies or how to think about that or even handle it from your side? If a company's like, oh, that's a good idea to kind of give a bunch of trials, like what kind of things should they maybe avoid if they're setting that up for their company? You know, I, I, I think we're, we're happy for people to try because what we've seen is if they try, you know, they're going to be super excited about the experience. And if somebody decides they don't like them, they want to return them, fantastic. Let us find you a pair that gets excited, that fits, that looks great. If those don't, you know, by all means, let us try. But 
you know, the one thing people tend not to know about glasses is that, you know, your sizing is right inside your eyeglasses. There's three little oh. numbers you could, you know, which, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's much easier than footwear, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. footwear, there's a lot more variability. You're all eyeglasses have to have your me- measurement spot in millimeters right there. Uh, is it like of your head or tell me, explain no, to me what the frame. So, so you've okay. got a measurement of the arm, you've got mm-hmm. a measurement of the lens width and then the bridge width. And those are the three measurements you find on every pair of glasses sold in America. Wow. You enter those into our site. We can, we can give you, these are the glasses that will fit you based on, you know, presumably you're happy with the fit you have now. I didn't even know that existed or was a thing. Exactly. I know. See, we're, we're, that's why people come to your podcast. They learn something new about, you know, and so it, it, it is really kind of strange that somehow this whole category has forgot to, it's, it's like, imagine if the footwear category didn't tell you the size of shoe you wore. So that, that's the key is we, we've got the size on your glasses. You put those into the site. We'll find you the pair that fit for you. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's why it's working so well. I mean, the NPS numbers we see, the satisfaction numbers are higher than if you go into a traditional retail store. I guess that's the last piece of why we feel confident that you don't need to, we don't need to open a bunch of stores and waste a million or $2 million opening each store. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a CapEx light model where we can invest in, in serving customers. Um, and the NPS numbers back that story up. People are happier buying online through kits.com than they are going through multiple other channels. And we've had that measured by um, outside third parties. And it, it's, you know, we think that's pretty compelling. Yeah, that's awesome. My mind is blown. Now I know what those numbers mean. How do you think about exploring new technology so that, you know, I can go on your site and then maybe you have something that just looks at my face and measures it because I'm even thinking about, okay, how do I measure my head or my nose bridge or any of that? You know, is there an easy way to think about like how technology can kind of just quickly do it for me? Yeah, there, there, I mean, there's a couple of things coming. We, we do offer also an eye exam online. So you can um, go online, take an eye test in about four minutes as opposed to, you know, which means you can do it 24-7, you know, day or night, whenever, whenever it works for you. Um, we include that free with a pair of eyeglasses. So I think both from a technology standpoint and innovation standpoint, that's really one of the, the most exciting parts of the category is that right now you can go and do an eye exam in four minutes on your iPhone it's been proven that the technology works better than human diagnostic, right, at scale. So, you know, the, the AI that does it will never be tired. It will never have a bad day. It can tell the gender of, of the person by cornea, which, you know, isn't true for, for, for human eye doctors, right? So, so it's um, at, a, at a place that, you know, it'd be tricky for humans to catch up to. So, yeah, we, and, and I think eventually, you know, I'm going to go like this. There's my head. Yeah. You know, it's got a 3D map of my head. It's all to scale. Is that 18 months away? You know, probably it's, you know, somewhere between 12 and 18 months that there would be no reason, I think, especially with the way retail's changing, how fast it's changing. Um, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those those technology pieces are going to all be in place so that, yeah, if you want to walk in a store, great, go walk in. But but we think it's going to be easier, more, more cost-effective and more time efficient to just do it from wherever you are right now and, and get it done quickly. That's great. I mean, that also is a really good just, lead generator too. I mean, imagine, you know, all your, I mean, you already know this, which is why you built it, but just a customer going on and trying to find, you know, a place to get an eye exam or even thinking about, can I do it on ZocDoc or whatever it may be and finding a site that's like, yeah, we can just do it right here for you. So come on in. I mean, that seems like, it's like the quizzes and all the other things that, you know, these new D2C companies are doing. That's way more unique. And I have not heard of that before. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been working quite well too. Yeah, of course. That, that kind of completes the completes the cycle too, which didn't exist back in my past company. We didn't have that ability 
Um, and that was one of the key catalysts for coming back in the categories, knowing that, hey, if we're going to do it, we're going to innovate with technology. We've got an online PD tool, which tells you how far apart your eyes are to your point about the bridge distance. Mm-hmm. So you can also do that online um, and, and doing the eye test, of course, is, is really key. Yeah. How do you encourage people to take the test and then kind of, you know, see the product that's best fit for them and then go through the entire customer journey? I guess it's built into different journeys as they answer the question. So if you come in looking for contacts, we probably don't take you down that journey. If you come in looking for glasses, we may or may not based on based on what what's interesting for you. Mm-hmm. For me, we'll give you the option. We can show you that that information, but um, it tends to be around reorders when people, you know, they've already been, you know, maybe it's a year. They, you know, we know we've got a copy of your prescription on file in many cases. So. When we know that's coming up, we try to make it easy for you. We'll send you a little notice that says, hey, take four minutes and get this done right now. If you need an update, you know, um, we've got somebody standing by. So it actually gets done, you know, through tech. And then we get a, a live optometrist to approve it and finalize it. So um, it's, it's, I think it's just more convenient for people to, to do it that way. Mm-hmm. I love it. So I want to talk about, you know, scaling your company up. I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, whoa, how this company go to a hundred million? And what are some lessons I can take away or maybe favorite failures? I want to hear just some stories around, you know, building the company up and maybe things that you would do differently or advise people to do. You know, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, companies are built by the people. So, you know, getting the culture right is key. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we define it with the three of us, what we wanted the culture to be like. And then as we've added groups of people, you know, right around 25, we redid the culture, right around 100, we've kind of reevaluated what we, what we think is important and getting everybody, you know, on the same page as far as, you know, what are the rules we're going to live by internally. And then I think, you know, the CEO's job is really to get everyone aligned and engaged in the mission. So to kind of make clear what is the mission, what are we trying to do? You know, we're trying to change this category. We're trying to make it better for customers and make it really clear that that's what we're trying to do and then get them engaged in that. Why is that important? Well, you know, we want to do good in the world. We want to change the world. We want to have some meaning and purpose to the things we're doing. And so, you know, to the extent we can get get everybody aligned and engaged and have a core set of values, I think that's what helps build culture. And culture really just determines, you know, the level of success you're going to have. You know, we can take people from all kinds of different backgrounds, which I guess we all do. We all come in from all these different experiences and backgrounds. And then we've got to kind of give everybody a common set of, you know, principles and to, to act under. And to the extent we do that well, those things, I think, you know, that, that's what really is the foundational piece. And then, then it comes back to, you know, goal setting and then, you know, a weekly cadence of measuring. How are we doing to those goals? Here's our weekly, here's our monthly, here's our quarterly goals, here's our annual goals and kind of. I think all of us came from a fairly, you know, metrics-driven environment. So Joe from Amazon, Sabrina Goldman, myself mm-hmm. from Coastal. So, you know, I think just just being surrounded by metrics and always trying to get, you know, optimized to better, better understanding of the data and metrics is, is probably the, the last piece to add on to that. Yeah, yeah. Those would be wins. You said losses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. All, all the above. Yeah. I want to hear it all. I mean, I think, I think our growth did happen fairly quickly. We were growing fast and then I think COVID accelerated it. And, and we probably realized that the company was going through a real step change in the last year and then adding to that going public. So I, mean, I think there was a point, you know, a year and a half ago where we had, you know, 15 or 20, 20 people. And now we're sort of 135 or some, you know, a number like that that's continuing to grow. So I think that's kind of, you know, the fact that we still don't have anyone in HR. We kind of do that ourselves. I think that mm-hmm. we're probably past the point where an HR person would be helpful. So if I was, you know, if I said what's next step, it's probably to get somebody in HR to make sure we're institutionalizing the systems and process around 
pieces I'm saying. It should, you know, it just can't feel like random that we're going to do a quarterly values meeting. It should be, you know, institutionalized. We're going to do these things. And so, yeah, that's probably a, a learning as, as it scales. It's all about systems and process. It's all about going from generalist to people who are, you know, the best in the world. That, that's really what it takes to grow a business. And, and unfortunately, as a scale, you know, not, not every generalist becomes the best in the world at one of the things they're working on. So that's, you know, that's probably one of the tricky parts to, to manage as you grow. So we always hear, you know, like you were mentioning earlier, when you're at 25 employees, you have to act this way. When you're at 50, this way, 100. I mean, what are some of the things that a CEO should kind of prepare for as their company is, you know, growing the employee count quickly? Like, what was it like at 25 and then 50 and now 100 to where you maybe have to operate differently than you even did, you know, a couple months ago? Well, especially with COVID, right? So, you know, zero to 25, you look everyone in the eye basically every day and, you you know, and, and engagement and... Um, alignment is easier when that's happening you know as you get to 25 you need systems and process as you get to 100 again it's going from generalist to systems process and really specialist you know somebody mm-hmm. can't be doing you know when you start out i think you know joe was doing all the marketing and now you know you go from one person marketing to 15 you know you're getting more and more specialized you've got to get higher higher skilled people and and you know you have to have great skill people in each position because if you want to make the jump from you know 25 million to 100 million and go from 100 to 300 you got to break through those barriers by having great people and that allows you to do your job you know play your position is kind of the way we say it is you know you don't want to have to play someone else's position because as soon as you're you know helping someone in marketing email or somebody in you know procurement or someone in logistics then you're not you know then suddenly the CEO or the CFO aren't doing their job either so I'd say that's the other thing is, you know, make sure you're, you're playing your position and that you have people that can play their position at the highest levels. Yeah, there was an interesting quote I read around hiring people and that a lot of founders sometimes hire for, you know, a year or two in the future. And the person was just recommending like hire for what you need right now and then either train them up or then reevaluate again in a year or two and then hire for what you need then. It seems like a lot of people are always kind of thinking so far ahead, especially when founders are ready to move quick and scale and, you know, get the best SVPs that they can get. And then they're like, oh, wait, that person doesn't actually know how to do all of this work in between. Yeah, so so true. I mean, it's a delicate balance. You really, you love to have those senior people who are so skilled and they've already kind of risen up and hopefully they did all the jobs on the way there. That's always a helpful, right? Is that mm-hmm. they've actually started in the trenches and then and then moved up and then you know you're getting the skill set. And yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a problem if, if the company's not big enough to really give them something challenging either, right? If they're mm-hmm. used to a certain type of challenge that, that just doesn't exist yet. Well, I would say our philosophy is to try to, cha- to, try to hire people that we think will scale, you know, mm-hmm. try to hire the smartest people, the brightest people that we hope will scale. And, and to the extent, you know, we can do that, um, that's kind of how we think about it. So... I want to predict the future a bit now because you've been in the world of commerce for a long time. I want to hear what kind of trends do you think are going to impact the market the most over maybe the next like one to three years that you guys are kind of prepping for. And you're like, oh, we see this big evolving thing happening and we're going to be at the forefront and, you know, not yeah. let it get away from us. I mean, for, for us, uh, I think, you know, we, we saw sort of this telehealth. And I think healthcare is at the, some convergence of you know, it, it's got to get more efficient. We all know that the costs in healthcare mm-hmm. have gone up at faster rates than GDP and everything else. So we know that there, there's like the, the pricing isn't optimal. So we think that health and, and tech are merging and we think we're at the forefront of, of a health tech piece of a, of a larger puzzle. You know, so I think there's lots of interesting 
things that we can do for other healthcare companies um, that have large patient bases that don't today have a vision care offering. So that's really what we're trying to do is say, you know, we're going to be right in front of this health tech convergence. And, and we've got a great business. It's, uh, you know, north of 100 million. It's growing. It's got a great install base of recurring patients. So we, we know that we're kind of building thoughtfully a, a great business and that it's serving, you know, most importantly, serving customers in a way that they get excited about and they're happy with. Mm-hmm. And I think if you do those things, you know, the, the rest, um, you know, it takes care of itself. Yeah, that's great. I mean, why are things so expensive in healthcare? I never can understand like why things are so pricey. And I mean, what are the margins behind the scenes? I mean, I see, you know, what like our insurance company is like, oh, I'm paying a thousand dollars and you still owe 500. I'm like, I was only there for 10 minutes. Like why? I don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. I I mean, it's a good question. There there are just so many people in the middle of healthcare. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what's happened over time. And you know, many of them have to be cut out of the out of the equation. You know, it's it's super inefficient the way it is now. So, I mean, that's part of what we what we're hoping is that we will, you know, we'll replace some of the bigger incumbents with better value, take better care of customers. And but but I think that's that's really what's coming for healthcare is that a lot of the pieces have to be cut out. There are just so many people managing. You know, there's three people getting paid on you walking into you know so and so's office, and it just you know it's just not efficient anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. So where do you all want to be in the next couple of years? What are you aiming for as a company? You know, we're, we think there's, you know, lots to do in vision care in, in North America for the next, um, you know, 24 months. So I think that's where our, our focus lies is, is building out um, our offering, building out our, our install, our customer base, and, and just keep growing in North America. You know, we've looked at a bunch of M&A opportunities, nothing that we thought was the right you know, fit. Historically, I think I've bought seven or eight different businesses in the last business I was in. So we, we're always looking for, you know, smaller, you know, interesting things that would kind of tuck into the platform and, and be a creative for shareholders and be a creative for customers. And so if we see some of those, we'll probably, you know, we'll look to layer those in. But, um, but otherwise, just heads down, focused on, you know, moving that NPS needle up. All right. So the lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have 30 seconds or less to answer. And I already know you're ready, Roger. So let's do it. All right. I'm going to take one out of your playbook. What's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Piece of advice I'd give my younger self would be, um, yeah, don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, and it's all small stuff. It really is that that would be the thing. And, and probably people like me and you and everybody that's listening to this is sweating all the small stuff. So it's, it's a balance. But yeah, don't sweat the small stuff. You're, you're going to be okay. It's going to all work out. Keep your head down. Keep grinding. It's going gonna, it's gonna to all work out. Yep. That's good advice. When you want to get creative, what do you do to get into that headspace? You know, for me, um, balance is so tough. I think you always got to choose two of three. But, um, you know, for me, good, good headspace is um, every, Friday, or every Thursday morning, I take my team, I ask them if they want to do the gross grind, some mountain behind me here. And I meet them at the top for a coffee. I say, I'll buy you a coffee at the top. You just got to be there at eight. And so um, that grind up the gross grind is, is a real tester physically. Um, takes you know anywhere between an hour, an hour and a half to do. And, um, and some folks can even do it faster, the younger folks. But um, it's, it's uh, just really clears your head. It's physically taxing. And then you get to the top and you're, you just feel bonded with the people you're there with. You're out in the mountains, you're in the fresh air, you're, you're probably got some endorphins going and we have a coffee and that coffee tastes good. And, and then we talk a bit about personal and a bit about business. So I'd say that's the way. 
Wow, that's awesome. And are you personally lugging all these coffees up the mountain? Ah, uh, no, they have a coffee shop at the top. Thank goodness. Oh, they have a coffee okay. shop at the top of uh, Gross Mountain in Vancouver. Yeah, so we okay. go up the mountain and uh, and I buy them all a coffee. And uh, I should lug them up the mountain, though. That's a great idea. If you kind I know. Of make I was like, more authentic. I can barely make it as it is. So, uh. <laughs> okay. Well, I like my picture of thinking about Roger single handedly bringing up like 50 coffees and balancing them while doing a strenuous hike. That sounds that sounds good. I might, yeah, I might have to try to try that one time. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, What's up next on your reading list? I I mean, I tend to read, you know, business books. I've got a couple things in front of me right now. A road taken by uh, a local guy here in Vancouver. So that's what's right in front of me on, on the right here. Uh, somebody gave me, which is just a story of his, his autobiography about it, you know, his, his life and so on. So yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. Cool. I love it. All right. And then the last one, what's something you're secretly curious about? I'm secretly curious about, um, I'm kind of curious about it, this whole space race, what it, you know, I can't really wrap my head around why everybody is thinking, you know, I guess I'm curious about how that's going to play out. Are we really going to Mars? I guess we are. Uh, and I, I kind of wonder about, you know, I'm curious about how that's become the priority of the planet over so many other things. And I'm probably curious about why it just doesn't seem like the right priority to me right now. I feel like mm-hmm. there's a lot we could do in North America and around the world uh, outside of that. Not to say that others can't choose their priorities, but I'm curious about how the heck Mars got to be such a big priority. Yeah, well, let's just tag Elon. He will for sure respond to me. <laughs> he probably I know that. will. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Roger, it's been awesome having you on the show. Loved hearing about your background and Kits Eyewear. Where can people find out more about you and Kits? You know, um, Kits is it's pretty straightforward. Just kits.com. And then like everybody else, I'm uh, you know on LinkedIn for sure. Reach out and, uh, you know, if you have any questions or uh, thoughts for me, on, uh, uh, let me know. And uh, I'll appreciate it. I look forward to responding. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Stephanie. Great to be here. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.